Hi, everyone. Welcome to Drinking from the Fire Hose, a podcast for school leaders. I'm your host, Ellen Willoughby. Being a campus leader can feel like you're drinking from a fire hose with all the information, requests, tasks, and duties that are thrown your way on a daily basis. So how do you manage to do it all and help students grow? Well, that's what this podcast is all about. On today's podcast, our topic is restorative justice. Over the last few years, restorative justice or restorative practices has been buzzing in the education world, and we wanted to bring in an expert on the subject to share not only what it is, but to learn about the practices and the impact restorative justice has on students, schools, and the community. And I am beyond excited to introduce my guest, Dr. Angela Ward. Thank you. So, Dr. Ward, you are the founder and CEO of Toward Equity Consulting, and you serve on national, regional, and local equity groups. And you also led this work with AISD. Mm -hmm. So we are excited to have you, and let's just kick it off and have you share, what is restorative justice? So um, in my role with Austin Independent School District, what we did was frame restorative practices as a culturally responsive approach to the work that we do with students and families. And so we looked at, it was very important to me to understand the history behind something called restorative and what is that. And um, with my background, I have a a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. So that word justice really piqued my my curiosity Mm -hmm. and knowing how school systems typically Um, operate as an on-ramp to the criminal justice system. We didn't want to reinvent, re, I guess not not the word reinvent. We didn't want to uh, further solidify that, that reality in our schools. And so I really wanted to understand what is this thing they're calling restorative justice? What does it mean? What does it look like? What does it sound like in our schools? And so what I uncovered was, no, it didn't start in the criminal justice system. It's, um, from practices that are thousands of years old and restorative practices originate in indigenous communities in indigenous history and they are practices that have been practiced for thousands of years Mm -hmm. and they continue to be practiced by indigenous people who live amongst us and so I wanted to make sure that bringing this work to Austin Independent School District that we were really focused on as educators Mm -hmm. telling the truth about the work. (laughs) Right, absolutely. And um, we framed it as culturally responsive because it's important that we make people stop and think about the fact that this is something that has been co-opted by the criminal justice system and the um, social work feels Mm -hmm. very well. It's been popularized in both. And often you hear that it started in the criminal justice system. Yeah, that's which is not true. So interesting. (laughs) And so as educators, we felt duty bound to teach the true history of restorative practices. And so we look at them as as um, practices that the indigenous communities used to maintain harmony okay. in their 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 communities and they also used those practices to solve conflict and repair harm okay but what's popularized is oh this is a um, alternative to discipline no right it's not an alternative to discipline it is a way of being it is a way of recognizing how each of us shows up in the world. It's recognizing that each of us has unique, um, ah, my headphones are falling off. That's okay. There you go. (laughs) 
recognizing that each of us has um, particular ways that we operate in the world. We Mm -hmm. bring our own lived experiences into schools and framing it as culturally responsive restorative practices opens the space for adults in our schools to see children as unique living human beings who each come with their own gifts, their own ways of of experiencing the world, their own unique needs, Mm -hmm. and really helping us understand that we have to create those identity-affirming school spaces so that our students feel safe, welcome, and included. Great. And so when I heard you, so first of all, I'm completely shocked that it it didn't start um, in the criminal justice system, (laughs) even with research that I've done on Mm -hmm. it. Um, So that is, I think that that's something I just want to stamp so Mm -hmm. people understand that. Uh, Because we, you know, we do, we talk about the school to prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I also want to stamp that you talked about, like, this isn't a program. Mm -hmm. It's not, it, I mean, this is truly, like you said, a way of being. Mm -hmm. So when we, and I want to make sure I'm using the right terminology. So is there a difference between the, the um, restorative justice and restorative practices? Mm -hmm. Um, Like just to frame that Mm -hmm. appropriately. So when you think about restorative practices, restorative justice fits within it. Okay. And so often um, we, we talk about it from a multi-tiered system of support. Okay. And so in my former role in Austin ISD, we approached it from that multi-tiered system of support where social emotional learning was that strong tier one. Mm-hmm. So there's three tiers in that multi-tiered system, system of support. At tier one, you have um, community building, you have um, morning meetings at elementary school, you have advisory at secondary, you have all of these ways of building relationships, building trusting relationships with students, with adults, with families, with community members. Tier two is when there may be a conflict that occurs, there may be something that removes a child from the regular learning environment that, um, Maybe they're not able to grasp a concept in class, and so they need an intervention. They need a a little bit of tutoring. They need a support. Those things happen at Tier 2. Okay. Justice comes in often when we're talking about discipline, Okay. when we're talking about conflict that has caused harm to someone, and it often occurs at Tier 3 when we've exhausted all of the typical ways of intervening for children, where we intervene for them academically, we intervene for them. Um, often we don't look at the academic when we're talking about restorative practices. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, like, again, I, I hear mm-hmm. it every, every um, example or any time that I've seen it, it, it's all about the discipline. Mm-hmm. And it's, yes. So and and, and that's how our our state frames it as mm-hmm. restorative discipline practices, and we we kind of push back on that a little bit because we need our teachers to see all um, schooling as as important right. in regards to restorative practices. And so at tier two, we're looking at academic, we're looking at social, we're looking at emotional, we're looking at um, are they able to be in a school space and feel that their identity is affirmed. Mm -hmm. That's at tiers one and two. At tier three, often their identity is not being affirmed. They're not making connections 
with each other, with with um, their peers. They're not making connections with one adult, at least on a campus, who they feel like has their back. They feel like sees them as a unique person with gifts. And often um, they reach that tier three level of that multi-tiered system of support because we have not put the 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 processes, the structures, and the the engagements in place along the way for them to feel like a viable member of the school community. And so at tier three, that's when justice may occur because a harm has happened. Okay. Um, some behavior has, has occurred that has removed them from a strong tier one, social emotional learning where everyone's getting along, we're all in harmony, and we have some things here and there, but ultimately we're able to function together. And tier three is where we will bring in um, community members. Mm -hmm. We'll bring in people who feel like, who the student feels like um, contributes to their social emotional well-being. Um, some people who have their back, people who um, who may be able to support them in ways that the school typically cannot. Right. Um, you may bring in a pastor. You may bring in a social worker. Um, social worker would come in at tier one also. Okay. A uh, tier two. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really looking at those wraparound services. Okay. Um, and approaching that justice from a true justice standpoint, and not throwing the book at the child. Mm. Um, usually, when you hear justice and discipline in our schools, yes. you hear problem child. Yes. And we try to reframe that as no, they're not problem children. There's a problem with the process. There's a problem with the environment. There's a problem where the student is not being able to access their full potential because the the environment that has been set up for them is not optimal for them. And so what do we do as adults? What can we do as their peers when we notice that there's something happening where our, our peer and our student is not able to access the learning environment in the way that we need them to to be successful? That is a culturally responsive approach to restorative practices. So take me back to to like so if I am wanting I am a school leader and I'm I'm really wanting to to do this right what do those practices look like at tier 1 and tier 2 and tier 3 tier 1 is it's so restorative practices happens on a continuum and um, I think it's Ted Watchtool um, and I can't think of the other author um, but he has the he wrote about the social discipline window and he also, um, there's more research out there on the, um, the continuum of restorative okay. responses. And so the, the continuum looks at, at tier one, we're having affective statements, affective questions. And so those statements and questions that make a student um, feel seen and heard, and we're attending to things that will help our emotions be more um, in alignment with community and harmony. Okay. And so you ask questions that engage a student in reflecting on um, how they're feeling, how they're doing, um, what, what things they like, what things they dislike, and being very clear in gaining an understanding of those dislikes because those are going to be your cues as an adult. If I do this, this may occur. 
So really being in tune to getting to know your students. We typically do these things anyway. Right. As educators, we get to know our students. We get to know each other as adults. And you set up those um, opportunities to do those things on a regular basis. We don't just do it to open the school year. Right. We do it to open every week. We do it to close out the week. So you do those small impromptu conferences also with students when there seems to be something that's gotten their disequilibrium off. Okay. Um, we want to get them back to community. It's something we often would say. How do we get them back to community, which is tier one? Mm-hmm. Where we're able to engage in those um, questions and statements. Um, also looking at um, a simple way of engaging in tier one restorative practices is to implement what, what people call check-in, check-up, check-out circles. Yeah. Um, and they don't have to be circles. They can literally be, hey, what's up? What's going on with you? You know, you have you have checked in with them. Exactly. Um, all right, what are you going to do this weekend? Or what are, you, what are you looking forward to when you go home today? And you may get a clue that everyone doesn't want to have that conversation with you if you're not getting eye contact mm-hmm. from all of the students. That's a clue. And so paying attention to the clues that the children give you, recognizing when something's off kilter, those are restorative practices. Okay. You don't need a book. You don't need someone to come teach you that. Those are things you do regularly because you care about children and you care about being in community with people. Before we get back to the show, we wanted to ask for your help in reaching campus and district leaders. If you like what you hear in this episode, hop on over to whatever platform you use and give us a rating and review. It really helps people find our podcast and lets us know what we're doing right and also what we can improve upon. And of course, don't forget to mention us to your colleagues. Thanks. Now let's get back to the show. Um, and then those small impromptu conferences that's on the, the next, the pretty much the middle of that continuum, it's where you're creating those spaces to have trust building relationships with children. Mm-hmm. Um, you're creating opportunities to walk and talk with them or you're creating opportunities to just sit and chat with them or you're making sure that there's one one adult on the campus whose responsibility it is to know how that child child is doing weekly, daily, um, whatever you can you can get into your your regular stream of of um, ways of being with the children, and then you get into um, informal and formal conferences with students and families. So it goes from affective statements and questions. Check in, check up, check out, informal conferences, formal conferences, and then formal. Um, So that's how it operates on a continuum. And it's, and like you said, this is, these are things that people are already doing. There's Mm -hmm. just like more of an intentionality Mm -hmm. behind it is what I'm Mm -hmm. hearing. Being real intentional with your structures and your processes. And so what we, what we did with principals, we we really looked at, on your campus, who are the people that are responsible, air quotes, for discipline? Mm-hmm. Who are the people that are responsible for community building? Who are the people who are responsible for checking in with students and families? And so in Austin Independent School District, that could be the counselor, that could be the assistant principal, that could be your parent support specialist, that could be um, on some campuses they have restorative practices associates. Um, and then on other campuses, they have um, social workers, mm-hmm. you know, or social emotional learning coaches or instructional coaches. And so you take stock of 
who are the people on the campus that I can pull together on a regular basis to um, establish an implementation team. And it's that implementations team's job to look at what are the structures we have in place, what are the processes that we have in place so we don't lose a child. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, period. That's, that's period. <laughs> so <laughs> we don't sentence. lose a child. child. Yep. Wow. Because that's, that's someone's loved one. Yeah. That it's someone's important person. And we spend so much time with them, mm-hmm. you know, when they're, they're dropping their kids off at our schools, mm-hmm. like they're, they become our children. Mm-hmm. And so that is our responsibility. Yeah. And it, it's important also to see it not as um, a practice that's only reserved for students of color mm. because of that word justice. Right. It's one way, one reason why we fought that word justice in our title is because schools that have a majority white uh, oh yeah, they clientele. They don't want to talk about restorative justice. We don't need that. We don't have bad kids. Oh. That's that's the language. Yeah, definitely. That's how it's talked about. Yeah. Um, and every school has students who are are operating on the margins. Right. In some way, shape, or form, they are ostracized in some way, or they're not necessarily um, accessing the best. Um, possible education for them. Mm-hmm. And so we frame it as culturally responsive restorative practices because we want all schools across the, si- the city, across the system, to see these practices as relevant for them, relevant for their students, relevant for the families. Right. And and again, like the, the, the verbiage, using that correct language, I mean, that's so important because, like you said, I mean, and, and I didn't make that connection before, but I definitely see that where, you know, the use of the word justice. And again, because so many people also believe it started in mm-hmm. the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. that it, it just it perpetuates that school to uh, prison pipeline mm-hmm. mentality. Yeah, and we're trying to bust that pipeline. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we need it. <laughs> <laughs> that is the one pipeline we definitely need to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow, so much great information. So looking at when we move into tier two, Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about those supports for kids. Well, they're typical supports. So when I was on a campus as an administrator, tier two was that level in the multi-tiered system of support where you caught most of the children um, for behavior, for academics, for social skills, and... That was the the place where we had those. So that implementation team that may just be your your ARD committee, right? It may be your you know successful interventions team, whatever that team is that already exists on your campus that meets to talk about how to support children. Mm-hmm. That's where tier two happens, and you have to have fail safes in place so that someone is always understanding the the ways in which every child is accessing their free and accessible public education right uh, free and appropriate um education and so that that tier two is where the important piece is that the school has processes in place to make sure no child is left out of the learning process right um And that's where adults have conversations about, hey, I noticed this. I noticed that this child in particular is having a difficult time 
at this time of day? Has anyone checked in with them? Has anyone checked in with the family? What's happening? Right. Those types of questions have to happen. Um, and they're not, they're not, I don't know, I'm trying to say not a double negative, but they're <laughs> not, not restorative practices. Right. Those are restorative practices. Making sure that someone is paying attention to, um, paying attention when a child is not um, engaged in the learning community in whatever way that is. A lot of times um, I've seen it. I, I've done it, and you know, especially when I was beginning my my teaching career of the of the separation of like the academics and the behavior. Mm-hmm. But that they have they, the same they person happen, exactly, <laughs> and so and then also seeing that oh, so the challenges of the academics or the lack of challenge from the academics mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. showing us showing up and mm-hmm. manifesting in a behavior mm-hmm. that we can correct by how mm-hmm. we serve the student academically as opposed to taking kind of the back way around and just thinking that it's a discipline issue. Mm-hmm. So many children have difficulty with adults, air quotes, mm-hmm. because the adult just doesn't understand. Right. And they haven't taken the time to understand. Yeah. And often we, we send children down a spiral of, of behavior that is not conducive to engaging in the school community because they're bored Mm -hmm. or they are seeking attention um, or the adult is just tired of them. Yeah. And that's human. Right. It's human to get tired of children that you're with seven (laughs) hours a day. Definitely. Um, We've had a bit of a reprieve with um, our current reality of online schooling and whatnot. Yet we're about to go back into face-to-face with all of our babies, and many of them have not been with instructured systems for an entire year. And so what does that mean for our level of patience as Mm -hmm. adults coming into this new school year? It's going to require us to give each other space and create opportunities for the adults to be okay. Restorative practices starts with the adult, and the adult has to be in um, an emotional space to give to the students, Mm -hmm. to receive the students' gifts. If the adult isn't in an emotional space to receive that, they're not going to be able to implement any tiers that are going to be supportive for the students. And so we really have to think about what are the structures that we have in place as adults Mm -hmm. Um, to welcome each other as colleagues into this new school year and then what are the what are the supports we have in place when it gets tough because it's going to get tough it's going to get tougher than it's ever been yeah because there's collective trauma Mm -hmm. I mean and and I've had discussions with you know with colleagues um around this of that um and, and, and it's, you know, especially like some teachers where it's, but I, you know, I had a job and I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm one of the lucky ones in mm-hmm. that way. But but it was still a very, you know, it was a collective traumatic event. Mm-hmm. And um, so thinking about when, like you shared, like the, the teachers need to ensure mm-hmm. and the school needs to ensure that there is a system of support around teachers and staff so that they can build that that level of support around students and families. So thinking about that, what is your, 
what is your thought and what what would you recommend? I mean, I can only think about what I did with my staff when we were told, you know, in a matter of days, okay, we're taking work online, right? <laughs> we're taking school <laughs> online. Like, okay, what does that look like yeah. and sound like? Um, we we created opportunities. We'd already done so. We met um, biweekly um, to check in with each other, to have conversations about what's working and what we could improve upon to support students and families on the campus level and staff. And we found ways to bring that into our online space. Um, we, we scheduled check-in meetings um, one-on-one with supervisors and, and campus level people. We set up, you know, silly time to mm-hmm. do silly things together. Um, you know, the typical things you do to build community, you have to notice when it's time to do that. Mm. And you have to notice if you are feeling stressed as the campus leader, imagine how stressed the teachers may be. Right. I mean, the the, the campus leader's stress is humongous, <laughs> humongous, um, and everyone's going to be feeling this so intently. Um like we've never experienced it before. And so how how are we creating those check-in spaces? How are we creating those um, downtime? Mm-hmm. You know, are we giving people a gift of time? Are we meeting for the sake of meeting? You know, we should never be meeting for the sake of meeting. Right. Teachers' jobs are too hard to, to fill them with meaningless uh, meetings. Absolutely. How are we... Um, you know, one thing that I always encourage teachers to do when we're talking about tiers two and three of the restorative process is that when you get to a place where you're just sick of a child because you've dealt with them and you're the only one um, because you're human. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, when when you get to the end of that, that, that journey and you're like, I need a break, mm-hmm. ask for it. Mm. And... I also invite them to partner with someone. Who's your partner who gives you that space? Who can be there at a moment's notice if need be? Um, who can be there within 30 minutes, you know? <laughs> what What's the plan in place? And one thing that we did when I was on a campus as a leader, we looked at the entire grade level and we took that grade level as we were planning out where students would be the next year and we looked at if this class made what what would be the daily interaction that this teacher would have to do with all the students on this roster to be successful um, with each student and then we would notice where there may be a cluster of students that would require an enormous amount of emotional labor and academic prep and things of that nature. Uh And then we would try to level out those classrooms so that that teacher wouldn't have to have as heavy a load. And then we looked at across the, the, the grade level, are these classes, are these class lists structured in a way that you would want to teach it, principal. Oh. You would want to teach it, assistant principal. So why are you giving this teacher a class that you don't want to teach? Right. Because of the emotional labor that's required or the enormous amount of prep time that it's going to take to be successful with this group of students. And so that's a practice we put in place 
to help us make educated decisions about class lists. Right. Um, you can do it at the elementary and the secondary level. Look at that list. You know the children. Right. You know who's showing up in that classroom. And if you don't, somebody on the campus knows. And you should be asking them, would you want to teach this class? Why? Why not? Right. Um, what a great lens. <clears throat> I love that. And it, it, it really helped teachers to be able to meet the needs of students. And if we couldn't level the, the class out, we knew, okay, we need to ask for support here. Right. Um, before the school year even started, we're, we're, we're trying to get more support for this particular classroom. And if we can't, hey, we put our tennis shoes on and we got to that classroom <laughs> multiple times a day there you go. to yeah. make sure the teachers got what they needed. Um, and so it's, it's looking at the totality of how you set up the school space to make sure that teachers are successful, that students are successful, that when you're setting up the, the receiving of students at the beginning of the day, sending them off at the end of the day, all of those things go into making a restorative practices, a culturally responsive restorative practices um, process that's gonna support um, the everyday social emotional well-being of the students and staff and make everyone feel safe welcome and included and i i I think of it even you know from the perspective of a teacher of like how supported they feel Mm -hmm. with first of all that that the leaders really understand who is in my classroom Mm -hmm. and that there was such intentionality about it like um and again, that idea of like, okay, so if your class is a little bit heavier, balanced um, with with some, some students who may have some greater needs, then we're going to find that support for you. Mm-hmm. So I think that that return on the investment of, mm-hmm. of spending that time is is critical mm-hmm. to the support of, of the adults and, of course, the children Absolutely. and the building. It is. It is. And teachers... You know, we would have the conversation with teachers, which class do you not want to teach? We had all the children's names on on post-its or cards or something and um, coded them for, you know, special needs and things of that nature Mm -hmm. and ways we would have to attend to them. And the teachers would say, I want to teach that class. And we talked through why. Right. And make good decisions about how to to split them up so that it's it's more manageable and teachers could actually have a a good work-life balance. We've been talking to Dr. Angela Ward today about social justice. Please join us for the continuation of our conversation in part two. If you like what you hear in this episode, hop on over to whatever platform you use and give us a rating and review. It really helps people find our podcast and lets us know what we're doing right and also what we can improve upon. And of course, don't forget to mention us to your colleagues. Thank you so much. 